Amen. And so as we do that, right, we're talking about the kingship of God, and that leads right back into the series that we're in. It's called God Still Reigns, and we took a break for the High Holy Days, but we're going back into the series. It's a series based on the book of Daniel, and there's a lot of stories in Daniel, a lot of visions and dreams and mystical supernatural stuff, but at the heart of every dream, of every vision, of every story is this one message God still reigns. And that in times of chaos and uncertainty and it feels like life is just swirling around us or it'll look like the world is falling apart, God had a message he wanted Daniel to give to the Jewish people and to give to the kings of the empires of those days. And that is that God still reigns. And so as we look at Daniel chapter seven tonight, we're gonna see that message again and see how, just as we celebrate during Sukkot, our God reigns. And so if you want to turn with me over to Dan, Daniel chapter 7, we're going to begin there. And it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed before his mind while he was on his bed. So the first thing is, it's, it says during the first year of Belshazzar, right? So it's the first year of a new king in Babylon. And if you remember back to early in our series, right, Daniel had served in the government of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And then later on, uh, Belshazzar, who was like a descendant, a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, had this writing on the wall. He couldn't interpret it, so he brought Daniel in, right? So that's kind of the background going into these chapters. And so what we saw as we went through those stories and then we went through Daniel and the lion's den, right? We looked at the timeline of Daniel's life in chapters one through six. And now in the rest of the book, chapters seven through 12, Daniel is saying, okay, here are specific dreams and visions that God gave me that are super important that happened during the course of my life. And I wanna make sure you hear these things because they're important. And so when we uh, read and went through chapter six with Daniel in the lion's den, that happened when Daniel was like 80 years old, right? And this vision that Daniel was writing for the Jewish people and writing for us is something that actually happened before then, before Daniel in the lion's den, before the writing on the wall with Belshazzar. This is in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. And that means this is right after their transition where Nebuchadnezzar died. And basically what that means is this is the first year Daniel is without a job. He's about 67 years old and he's been laid off. He doesn't have a job. There was a transition of power, right? And that happens to this day, right? When there's a transition of power, jobs change, right? If, there's a new, if you get a new boss, a new CEO, there might be some restructuring. And Daniel's in the government. And I remember, and so he's facing that same thing when there's a transition of power. I was listening to a, a pastor uh, speak in Washington, D.C., and he recently wrote a book for his congregants just a plea to believers on how to vote. And he says, you know, this isn't just abstract for the people in his congregation because the people in his congregation, their jobs and their livelihoods depend on who's in the government. And depending on who wins the elections, they might not have a job. And that's exactly what Daniel is facing right here. And so Daniel uh, had this transition from Nebuchadnezzar, who knew him, who loved him, who trusted him as a top leader in the government, to his grandson, Belshazzar. Belshazzar doesn't care about David, kicks David out. David is now in his first year of his uh, involuntary retirement at 67, and he has this dream at night. 
And Daniel writes this down for us because it is really important for us to get. This might be the most comprehensive chapter on prophecy in the entire scriptures. And so scholars will say, looking at the Tanakh, looking at the New Covenant scriptures, there's no other like single vision that covers so much of time, right? This is going from the Babylonian Empire until Yeshua comes back. Huge, right? And so what we have in this chapter is one of those most comprehensive biblical prophecies, and we're just going to unpack that together. And so as we do it, there's three things we're going to see. We're going to see hints about the future, we're going to see the hero, and then we're going to see the sidekicks. And so that's the three things we're going to look at today. And as we look at the hints, as we look at this overview of global politics from Daniel's time to the end of history, we get a lot of hints. The interesting thing is it goes through this, it lists like crazy things. Like this is a dream he had at night and he's seen these visuals and he sees these beasts coming out of the ocean. But what's interesting is after he sees all these crazy things, an angel comes to give him the interpretation, but the angel never tells him what the kingdoms are. It's interesting. He gives him some really important hints, but he never tells them, okay, these are the kingdoms that the beasts were referring to. He never unpacks that. And it's interesting because as people look at biblical prophecy, usually we like to get caught up in that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is when the angel comes to give him the interpretation, it never comes up. And for me, it's this warning as we look at biblical prophecy, that we're not, it's this challenge to me that we're not supposed to be like vigilante spiritual detectives, right? With our pin boards, you know, and trying to draw all the connections, overly trying to read into the symbols or overly trying to read in what's going around us because that's not what the angel does when he unpacks the interpretation. So we want to be careful, right? I think about Batman, right? In the Batman movies, you get the wannabe Batmans and they come out and they just make a mess. And then Daniel, and then sorry, and then Batman has to like save their lives and rope up the bad guys and get out before the police comes. And like when the wannabe Batmans come out, it's just no good. So I feel like, yeah, God doesn't want me to be a vigilante, spiritual detective, wannabe Batman, trying to overly read into everything. But he does have hints that he wants us to get, right? And at the last verse of this chapter, it says that Daniel kept these matters in his heart, right? Because while we're not supposed to overly read into things and become paranoid about it, God does want us to be alert to what's going to happen and alert to what's happening around us. And so Daniel keeps these things in his heart. And when Yeshua speaks, like in Luke 21, he says, be alert to what's happening around you and to what happens near Jerusalem. And so we want to just be alert to the hints that we have here. And so like I said, it doesn't give us the names of the kingdoms, but it does give us some hints. And so uh, if you uh, follow Yeshua, just write these hints down, right? Because I would say these, if we want to get into biblical prophecy, if you like that, these are just the very basics that the angel says, Daniel, these are the main takeaways. So we don't want to get like crazy into prophecy, but here are some main takeaways the angel gives Daniel. So if it was good enough for the angel to give Daniel, we might as well jot them down, keep them in, you know, Evernote and save it for the future. So the first thing he tells them is he says there's going to be these kingdoms on earth and they're like beasts, right? They're like these beasts that just devour and they don't care about people, but they're oppressive empires on the earth. But they get to the last beast 
And this is the one that freaks out Daniel the most, right? He handles the first three ones, and then when he gets to this last beast, Daniel gets freaked. It says he was disturbed, he was alarmed. This is the one that freaked him out, and this is the one that the angel unpacks for him. And so the angel says, the last final empire is going to have these things, and these are the hints that he gives. He says, one, there's going to be a coalition or a confederacy of 10 world leaders. So that's the first thing. And he says that out of this confederacy, the final enemy or the anti-Messiah is going to take over from inside of the confederacy, and he's going to bring down three of the leaders in the process. So it's pretty specific. So I'd say, okay, I'll jot that down. It says that this final enemy or the anti-Messiah is going to be more intimidating than any other leader. It's going to say he's going to harass, he's going to try to weary and overpower the believers. He's going to speak arrogantly against God and Yeshua, and he's going to try to change the holidays and the laws. It says the appointed times and the laws. And, And so he's going to try to change the holidays and laws specifically from God. So, and then, so those are the major clues. Confederacy of 10 nations, one guy's going to come from the inside, take it over, and he gives you some hints about him. I think about, like, my cousins, they love the show Criminal Minds, right? And uh, in Criminal Minds, you have these profilers who would profile who these serial killers were. And they would go out to the public, and they're like, public, don't become vigilante detectives, but here's a profile. If you see someone who matches this profile, let us know. Keep an eye out. So that's kind of what I take away from this. We don't want to become vigilante detectives, but there's a profile. Let's just keep an eye out. But the main thing is this. After the angel gives this profile to Daniel, at the last verse, it says, this is the conclusion of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and the color drained from my face, but I kept the matter in heart. So here's the thing. We have this profile, but we can't focus on it too much, because here's the thing. The beasts and the profile, they weren't the main point of the prophecy. This, in, this huge prophecy, biggest one in scripture, the main point was the Messiah. And so what, Dan, and what I think what we can do is the same thing that happened to Daniel. If we get caught up in how bad things are going to be, if we get caught up in how maybe difficult things feel right now, if we get caught up in trying to follow all the clues it can drain the life out of us just like what happened to Daniel here. But what I sense as I read this chapter is that God doesn't want us to get too caught up on the clues and the difficulties we have now or fear of the future, but to keep the focus on the main thing, and that is Yeshua. And so what we see in this passage is the Messiah. And it's a pretty awesome passage of what happens in this prophecy. And I was talking to my friend Joe Maturko, and he said, Ravi, you should have done Daniel 7 for Rosh Hashanah, because that's actually when it's traditionally read in the synagogue. Because, right, we talked about the themes of Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Steve did that. He talked about the coronation of the king. And that's what we have in this passage, where Daniel, he gets a picture into the heavens and into the throne room of heaven, And then he says these words. He says, Behold, one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was brought into his presence. Dominion, glory, and sovereignty were given to him that all nations and peoples and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And as we look at that, right, this is at the middle of the chapter. This is the climax because it says you're going to have these evil empires in the world, but then this person, the son of man is going to come and God is going to give him all authority. He will make all things right and his kingdom is never going to end. Never another transition of power, never another time of chaos of uncertainty. His kingdom will be good and it will last. And that's the climax of all of history and the climax of this chapter. And the beautiful thing about it is when it talks about the Son of Man coming, it points directly to Yeshua. And if you are not a follower of Yeshua, if you come from a Jewish background and you're skeptical about Yeshua and the scriptures, or maybe you're just agnostic or skeptical and you think, okay, this book written way before Yeshua talks about him, you can be skeptical of that. And I definitely get that. But one really interesting thing is what's coming out of traditional Jewish scholarship today. And so in unpacking Daniel chapter 7, I just want to tell you a little bit about what a rabbi, conservative rabbi, Daniel Boyarin, has to say about it. And so not only is he a conservative rabbi who looks at this chapter, but he's also one of the leading Talmudic scholars in the world. He works at UC Berkeley. He's written dozens of books, both in English and Hebrew. And, uh, and, and the other scholars in his field say he's probably the greatest professor of like early Judaism that exists on the planet today. And when he writes about this, he says, it's hard to escape the conclusion that the Son of Man is in fact a second person, as it were, of God. And what Rabbi Daniel Boyarin says, and if you want to look it up, if you're skeptical or if you just want to look up more about this, he wrote a book, The Jewish Gospels, The Story of the Jewish Christ. And he unpacks how the, the term that Yeshua uses to describe himself more than any other term, it's not the Messiah, it's not the Son of God, the term he uses most often is the Son of Man. And the, the words we read from Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel Boyarin is saying, that's not a mistake, it's not an accident. He's saying Yeshua is directly connecting himself to this person in this chapter. And what Daniel Boyarin says is that the idea that there would be a human who basically is God and who's going to have a kingdom on earth, this idea of a divine Messiah wasn't just made up by people in the first century, but in fact, it's actually one of the oldest and most ancient beliefs within Judaism. And what he says is when he unpacks this, this is how he summarizes this passage we read. He said, there's a person, he will be a divine figure in human form. And he very well may be portrayed as a younger appearing divinity, younger than the ancient of days. He will be enthroned on high and he is given power, dominion, even sovereignty over the earth. And how it describes the son of man character is it says he's coming on the clouds of heaven. And the interesting thing is like those words are only used to describe God. If we look in Deuteronomy 33, it says, only your God, Israel, rides on the clouds. And then in Psalm 68 and in, in Psalm, I believe, 104, it says the exact same thing. God comes riding on the clouds to save his people. There is nobody like him. And so this passage, it says a son of man, like he looks human, he's a human, but they describe him in only a way that the prophets describe God. 
and I think about it like, like Air Force One, right? If we say Air Force One, it means the president's on board, right? Because if the president's not on board, if he's not on board, it's not Air Force One. If it's the vice president, it's Air Force Two. So if it says he comes off of Air Force One and everybody stands at attention or whatever we do when the president comes, I, I don't know, uh, then you know that's the president. So when it says the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven, it means this is a human who's also God. And it's mind-boggling that this isn't just a made-up concept or something that happened in the first century or something that was tried to be invented afterwards. But what Rabbi Daniel Boyarin says is this is actually one of the most ancient beliefs within Judaism. And while it was tried to be shoved into a quarter for a long time, it's an inexplicable conclusion that Daniel 7 points to the divine Messiah who is going to make all things right, who's going to end the chaos and uncertainty and, and difficulties and pain and bring a kingdom that will never fade away. And so in this chapter, we get some hints for the future, right? We get this profile. But the main thing to take away is the hero. And that's Yeshua, right? As we look at every chapter of Daniel, the hero isn't Daniel. And as we look at our lives, the hero isn't us, but the hero of history, the hero of every story is Yeshua. And in this chapter that maps out human history, it's all about Yeshua. And so we have the hints, we have the hero, but then we have the sidekicks. And so what, what's interesting is we look at this chapter, it says the kingdom is given to Yeshua, but then it says a few interesting things, right? When the angel is summarizing this interpretation for Daniel, when he's given him the spark notes of what this dream means, he, he has two sentences, and he ends it like this. He says, there are the beasts, they're going to be from these kings, they're going to be bad people. He says, but the Kedoshim, the holy ones of the Most High, will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And then later on, it says, then the kingdom, power, and greatness of the kingdom under all of heaven will be given to the people of the Kedoshim of the Most High. Their kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. And what's so interesting about this chapter, right, is it tells us the hero. It says Yeshua is, it says the Messiah, the divine Messiah is going to have the kingdom. But then it says the people who follow this Messiah, they're going to possess this kingdom and reign as well. It's this amazing thing. And actually, it's so amazing, it was really confusing for Jewish scholars because what they'll say is, okay, the first portion talks about the Son of Man coming and reigning this kingdom. And then, this, and then these, that's the first part, right? And then next, it talks about the people of God reigning over. So they said, is this Messiah, is it, is it really one person? Or is it just figurative of, of the Jewish people in Israel following the Messiah? And what Daniel Bayarin says, both. And that's really the awesome thing about this chapter. Yeshua is going to reign forever and ever. And then those who follow the king of Israel are going to reign with him. And that is just this mind-boggling truth that God wants us not only to take away from Daniel chapter 7, but from Sukkot, right? This idea that what we live 
in temporary housing right now in makeshift tents that probably fall apart in our backyards if we're not good carpenters and good with building stuff like Terry, right? It falls apart. But it's a matter of in a world that's falling apart, in a world where our bodies fall apart, in a world that's just overcome with pain and with evil so often, there's going to be a time when God dwells with us and lives with us forever. And Yeshua is going to reign and make things right, and then we're going to reign with him. And this isn't just a few random verses in Daniel. It's throughout the scriptures. Yeshua talks about there is places being prepared for those who follow him. And in Revelation, it says it again and again. In Revelation 2.26, in Revelation 20, verse 4, and in Revelation 22, verse 5, it talks about it in, in 2 Timothy again and again. It says, those who follow Yeshua and cling to him, like Rabbi Steve talked about just recently, right? Those who follow Yeshua are going to reign with him. And as we look forward to that day when Yeshua makes all things right, it should give us this shalom and joy through the chaos and uncertainty now. But it's also this challenge. Because what Rabbi Paul writes to the believers in 1 Corinthians 6, he gives them this warning that relates to the idea that we're going to reign with Yeshua later on. And so I just want to read his warning to them because it also applies to us right now. And he's writing to them at a time when they're getting involved in these disputes and they're going and they're suing each other in court. And they're getting involved in a lot of sin. And then these are the words that he says to them in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 6. He says, Does any one of you have a matter against his neighbor? When you why do you dare go to court and not before the Kedoshim, the people of God? He says, Don't you know that the Kedoshim will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to judge trivial matters? Don't you know that we are to judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? So if you have courts for the matters of this life, why do you appoint judges over yourselves, people who have no standing in the community of God? He says, I say this to you to put you to shame. Isn't there even one wise person among you who's able to settle a dispute between brothers? But instead, brother is going to court against brother and before unbelievers at that. And he says, therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you have lawsuits amongst yourselves. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? He says, or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And just to summarize it, he's saying, listen, we get so caught up in what we face right now, we're missing that bigger picture. We're missing the crazy, mind-boggling truth that when Yeshua comes, we're going to reign with him. And if we believed that, if we took that to heart, if we trusted in that and lived like it was true, our lives would be different. Then we would look like the Kedoshim, right? The holy ones, the set-apart people of God, right? Then we wouldn't get involved with petty disputes because we'd see it with eyes that see things from God's perspective, right? We talked about the lulav and the etrog. We would have hearts after God's heart, eyes after his eyes, lips that speak like him if we realize that we aren't just nobodies and what we say and do doesn't matter. We're actually 
future people who are going to rule with the Messiah. And he says, if you embrace this truth and lived in light of it, your fights and arguments would fade away and the sins that are entangling you and grabbing onto you, you would be liberated to let them go. And so as we continue in worship, as Jillian leads us in worship, I just want us to take away these three things from the chapter. That as we look at scriptures, we look at this prophecy in Daniel, there are hints for us to take away. There's a profile for us to keep in mind. But to keep the main thing, the main thing, it's about Yeshua. And he's the one who's going to make things right and end chaos and uncertainty and evil. Our hope is in him. And that ultimately when he returns, we get to be his sidekicks who rule with him. And that if we believe in who he is as the divine Messiah and who we are in him, life is different, even in our sukkahs that are falling apart. And so if you just want to join me in prayer before we just respond to God in worship, Father, we thank you that you have entrusted all authority to Yeshua. And God, we just lift up the name of Yeshua, the name above every other name. And we are so grateful for who he is. And God, we want to take his commission to us, not lightly, but with the weight of what it means to follow the king of Israel and to one day rule with him. God, would you open the eyes of our heart to have revelation of Yeshua and revelation of our identity in him, that in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, in the midst of pain and pettiness, we would be different because of who Yeshua is. And it's in the shalom and joy we have because of him we pray and because of him that we rejoice in worship. Amen.